Hello, Breakthrough listeners. This is Erwin, host of the November 9th Wealth Hacker Conference in Toronto with keynote by Mr. 10X himself, Grant Cardone. If you're serious about creating multiple streams of income to get freedom from your job, support your kids through school, we will be hosting an all-day masterclass for beginner to professional investors to get on the fastest path to achieving your goals. For more details, go to wealthhacker.ca and your special discount code is BREAKTHROUGH. Again, that's wealthhacker.ca for details, discount code BREAKTHROUGH. Sandy and Rob already have their tickets and we will see you all there. Hi, this is Dion Beg from Butler Mortgage. We're currently ranked the number one mortgage brokerage in Ontario and number two in Canada. And much of our success is due to the fact that we help clients acquire multiple investment properties. If you'd like to talk with a mortgage advisor who specializes in investment property, you can reach me at 888-684-8326. To learn more about what's going on in the world of investment property financing, check out episode 23 of the Breakthrough Podcast, where I discuss the topic with Robin Sandy. Breakthrough Real Estate Investing Podcast, episode 98. Hello and welcome to the Breakthrough Real Estate Investing Podcast. We put this show together to inspire you and help you break through to the life that you want to live through the power of real estate investing. My name is Rob Brake and here with me again, as always, is Sandy McKay. Hey Rob, how are you doing today? Very, Very good. good. How are you guys doing? Good. How are oh, you, sorry. Rob? Oh, We're both I'm Rob. good. My apologies. We're both Rob, yeah. I I'll go by that. Bob today. It's good. <laughs> We're going to call you Robbie. Perfect. Oh, there, there we go. go. <laughs> uh, well, no, let's do a little intro then, Sandy. How's that sound? Sure. Yeah, we've got uh, Robbie Clark standing by here uh, coming on the show, um, about to be a guest. Well, welcome to the show for now. Uh, we'll do a, a, a proper intro in uh, just a few minutes, um, but happy to have him on and uh, he's standing by waiting. So we'll get to him in just a minute or two. So first of all, people should go to our website, BreakthroughREIPodcast.ca. There they can download our free gift. What's that called, Sandy? The ultimate strategy for building wealth through real estate. So they can pick that up and also get on our email list. Uh, listen, listen to every show. Uh, we'll notify you when the new, show, new shows come out. Get in, in, invites to all of our events. Uh, listen and, and hear about what we're up to. So go on over and jump on that list and get the free report and, and everything else that comes with it. As well, please go over to iTunes and subscribe to the show there. We have 257 reviews on iTunes or ratings, I guess, on iTunes. Not that many reviews. I think we have 135 reviews. Most of them are five stars. And we've got a couple of new ones here, Sandy. So I was just going to go through those. Um, The first one is from, sorry, I'm a bit raspy here. I got a little bit of a cold. It's driving me bonkers, but. I'll get through it. Um, Steve from Calgary says uh, five stars. Hey fellas, I've been listening to your podcast for the past year, many of which I have listened to multiple times. I am a veterinarian in Calgary, Alberta with a side passion for real estate. My wife and I are planning to house hack into a new primary residence next year and use the BRRR strategy to duplex the house with the ultimate goal to rent both units and then repeat. Calgary is a bit of a different market. So I would love to hear more interviews with Calgary focused investors, if that's possible. 
if you know anybody or if you're out there from Calgary, let us know and maybe we'll talk to you about it. Um, some questions I have specifically related to likelihood of getting approved from the city to have a property rezoned, finding accurate comparables when you refinance and big red flags that make the property difficult to sweet, etc. Keep up the good work. I'm inspired after each and every show. Um, I mean, I'm going to speak on that right now. Thanks, Steve. I appreciate that uh, review that you've sent us. But I think the biggest thing is finding the right property. So, um, so an investor-focused agent in that area will be able to get you into the right one. So they're, they'll, they'll know all the red flags. They'll, they'll know about getting approval from the city to have that second suite added in there. And they'll, of course, be able to pick the right type of house for you to be able to, you know, uh, I guess with the, with the greatest ease, add that second suite. So I'd say that's probably your first order of business is just do a little bit of research, see who's specializing in that kind of, uh, that kind of property out in Calgary and get in touch with them. Sound good? <laughs> I think that's pretty accurate. I think, it's, I think maybe we'll even touch on that on the show here today. Um, uh, but yeah, it's, uh, every area is going to be different, right? Every, every town city uh, is going to be different on that. Uh, get, yeah. your power to, get your power to them together, get, get the right people in your corner that can help you find the answer. Again, I wish I could speak on it, but every single municipality out here has completely different rules and regulations of what they want to see. So um, I wouldn't even begin to understand what they're looking for in Calgary. So that's why it's important to find someone who's, you know, focused in that area. Mm -hmm. um, the other thing uh, is, okay, we have one more. So this one says, amazing podcast by Free85. Uh, this person says, I just started listening to your podcast and I'm loving getting educated about real estate investing. My husband and I are very interested in starting in this and I'm excited to listen to your podcast to learn. Love that you have different guests and I love hearing their stories and how they were able to get into it. So thank you very much for those reviews. Appreciate those. And just touching back on the last one, I remember what I was going to say now is if you're going to look into the BRRR strategy or BFRR or whatever you want to call it, buy, fix, refi, and rent, we just did a two episode special covering everything, right, Sandy? Yeah, it was awesome. So those are the last couple episodes. So we're, we're kind of past that. We're probably going to touch on a little bit of that here uh, in our interview today. Um, but I think those are really great if people want to go back and review those and listen in. Um, and I think we, we didn't really touch on what the guests were talking about there, uh, or what the reviews were talking about as far as zoning and whatnot, but we definitely dove into renovations and, and how to pick the right property and, and all sorts of good stuff there. I mean, it boils down to power team. I think really yeah. was, was the bottom line. Yeah. Um, okay. Let's move on. Sandy, anything that uh, you wanted to touch on? I don't think so. I think, uh, I think there's lots going on. And, and I think, uh, I think uh, we've got a, a great guest here that we think that probably we can take up the whole, ep whole episode with. So a lot of details I think we can get into with, with Robbie coming up. So I think we should probably dive into it unless you got something to, to throw in there, Rob. It sounds good to me. Awesome. Well, uh, we do have Robbie Clark here uh, on the show today. And Robbie, uh, I'll give a brief intro and then we'll, we'll dive into it with him. Robbie's uh, uh, actually a one of uh, Dylan Suter's business partner. Dylan was on our, our episode, our show here, uh, episode 95. And we talked with Dylan a lot about what he does and, and Robbie's kind of uh, a different uh, 
piece of that puzzle of, of what they do. So um, they had they have huge goals. Rob is approaching 200 plus units in his property. Uh, his focus mainly on residential multifamily family properties. Uh, Rob actually grew up in the film industry as a child actor. He's on a bunch of shows, movies, and all sorts of stuff there. He eventually transitioned into entrepreneurship, uh, bought his first rental property seven years ago now. Uh, he's built multiple businesses since, uh, including eFresh Meals, which is a meal service that serves all of Ontario. Uh, it's got Lawn Care Alert, which is a landscaping company, uh, primarily around the Golden Horseshoe, so Southern Ontario. And, uh, and now he's focusing almost all of his time in the real estate field and uh, buying properties, fixing them up, um, putting all that together. So uh, we'll dive a lot more into that in the show here, but welcome to the show, Robbie. Thank you very much. How are you doing, guys? Great. Thanks for coming on. Appreciate it. Uh, thank you for having me. You got an interesting history. Yeah, yeah. I've, I've, I've danced around a little bit, so to speak. But yeah, that's, uh, uh, you know, it's almost like different worlds now. But um, I grew up in one industry and then, uh, and then you know, obviously uh, dived into entrepreneurial, uh, entrepreneurialism about seven years ago with the intent of really focusing on, on real estate as well, too. Uh, but managed to start another uh, couple other businesses, one with my uh, younger brother in the landscaping field, and then uh, one in the meal prep industry as well, too. And we all know there's no money to be made in the film industry. So <laughs> not in Canada. No, it's, uh, you know, it's good. I got a lot of buddies who are still very active, but it is a constant grind. And if you're not mentally focused, like any industry, anything you're going to do, uh, the mentality of it means so much. And if you're not 110% in, uh, then you're out. And, you know, unfortunately in acting as well too, you're always going from job to job. So you could be at the top one day and doing a lot. And if you lose that focus, I mean, there's other people there ready to eat it up. So, um, you know, it's the same goes for everything, but there's definitely less, uh, you know, I want to say security, if you will, because you're, you're still, uh, it's still a job. You're still an employee and you, and you um, uh, unless you're producing, you're, you're, you're fighting for every job that you go for. Well, let's go back and talk a little bit about your history then um, just to get a perspective on that and how you transitioned into real estate from there. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, I think uh, growing up in the film industry, I think it, it actually helped quite a bit in terms of goal setting, no matter what it was uh, I wanted to do. You know, I always, uh, I always set high goals for myself and was around, uh, like I didn't, I didn't go to school too much. I had a tutor on set, of course, <laughs> legally, but you don't get much, uh, you know, much time in there for that. And I was, you know, distracted with everything else I was doing. But one thing it did allow me, you know, I, I've had the, um, uh, benefit of working with a lot of you know great people Charlie Sheen, Emilio Estevez, the Olsen twins, uh, Will Farrow, and just uh, uh, a number of um, sorry if I lost you guys there for a second a number of uh, uh, big name actors and producers um, Woody Harrelson I, I, just, just a lot of great people who really set their goals high and you, you really get to see their perspective and understand that you know people are just people and I knew that at a very young age and as long as you set your mind to something and you set your goals somewhere uh, that you're going to get it. There's not much that can stop you. It's really about perseverance more than anything. And that kind of helped me out because I, uh, you know, I wound up moving to the States late teens and was more interested in, you know, uh, having fun than I was in, in working on my craft. And I, I'd made a, a, a lot of money for a Canadian actor and then, you know, didn't work for a while and, and spent all my money and then basically had to start from scratch again. I went to, uh, you know, literally back to uh, serving tables, which is, you know, um, uh, was it was a little hit for my pride, but there's nothing nothing wrong with it. I obviously was able to do it, but I did realize, okay, what do I need to do to rebuild myself? What do I need to learn since I don't have an education to get um, a good job, if you will? 
And I kind of started my entrepreneurial learning at about 24, 25 years old. I'm 32 now. And, uh, and then just powerhouse through every book I could read. Started with Rich Dad, Poor Dad, Robert Kiyosaki, which I'm sure you, know, you guys are very familiar with. And a lot of your viewers probably are as well, too, which is kind of like a feel-good book. Anybody can do this kind of. Uh, I always recommend as like an entry level for people to get into real estate or really business in general, because it shows that anybody can do it. You don't need crazy amounts of money to do things. You need the, uh, you need the work ethic and, and kind of core values around it to, to get that started. And yeah, I, I, I made my first purchase seven years ago on a small $127,000 home. Uh, that was a, a legal uh, two unit at the time. And we did, you know, minor repairs there, got a new tenant in that paid more. And then went from that to my second property where I learned uh, what tenants not to put in your homes and in the pitfalls to avoid from there. And it's been a, I want to say accelerated, but gradual uh, learning curve on the different things that would help uh, scale this business. Cause I, I did always, even at the beginning have a mentality of like, you know, yeah, I know I'm buying one $100,000 home, but I'm going to own a hundred. I'm going to own 200. I'm going to, I'm going to do that. And although I didn't know how to get there, I never changed the goal. I just changed the plan to get there, which is what you need to do uh, in any business, uh, especially in real estate, because you're not going to learn until you go through it. And, uh, and that's really what it takes. So that's interesting. Where was this, um, first $100,000 property duplex St. Catharines. Um, even so seven years ago, that sounds like quite a deal. It, it, it does. It was a small two unit. That's for sure. Um, we had an ailing tenant in the, in the upstairs. So we were able to find a good deal that was even cheap for, for that area. Uh, those areas back then. There's been a bit of a market increase there. I, I like to think we've had a little bit to do with it in some of those areas, but um, you know, there's one that was during the time before really capital appreciation really took off and really the GTA, not so much in the, in the small suburbs I was working, but I was also always focused on cap rates. I wanted to be able to, um, you know, what's a recession proof model I, I'd been through. Like I'd, I'd went through bankruptcy at 22. So I was like, what do, what do I got to do to, you know, avoid that and make sure that things that you're buying are actually making money. Capital appreciation was always my last uh, kind of goal there. Like I wanted, okay, how do you cash flow? How do you pay down equity so that you can retain these homes? And then you could build a model that worked in case, you know, were to go higher. I don't believe we'll ever hit the, uh, the interest rates uh, just on a macro level that we, that we did in the eighties with, uh, with 18, 20% interest because the system is not designed for that. There's too many, um, too many pension plans to pay to give out those kind of interest rates now. So it's, uh, it, but it was still built with that in, in mind. We have low interest rates now, if they go up, how can you sustain this? How can you, how can you build it? And I didn't know the answers like I do uh, now, but it was always built like, you know, you want to treat these homes, you want to uh, improve the city, improve the value and, uh, and cash flow well and get good tenants in there by doing it. I was looking to kick out all the slumlords and, uh, you know, I think we're doing a, a decent job uh, right now and, and we want to do a better job. So that's, uh, that, I, I started there because I could afford it at the end of the day. <laughs> so uh, that's a big one. And did you have a plan when you, I know you kind of said that you didn't, it was more just, I'm going to buy one, then I'm going to buy two. How did the plan form? When did the plan form? I had ideas. Um, I didn't really have any money. So I, you know, I had a few partners on the first one and, and did a lot of the work. So I wound up buying them out on that one in the increased uh, equity value. Cause the following year we wound up selling it for 160. I bought it at 127, Then we sold it for 165. Had a good agent friend of mine who's, who's still my agent and uh, we got reduced uh, commissions on the sales so that we, we weren't losing a lot. Again, it was a small deal and um, 
we were able to put 5% down at the time. I tell you, I really didn't have funds and, uh, and, and kind of grind it out there, just learning the ropes. I knew there was intrinsic value in, in these properties that are, are much cheaper to buy than, than you could build for. Uh, I mean, the lots now in St. Catharines are 150, 175,000 for a single family lot, right? So when you're getting these homes that are 250 or under and you're able, um, to either, you know, well now we work on conversions and things that are a little higher level, but if you're able to get them at that price and then fix them up and, and you look at the comparables that are higher and you can do it for less, well, where well, you're good. And my, my thing on those cities, again, is like, we're in a, a beautiful place in Ontario and really Canada where our vacancy rates are so low, you know, 2% almost across all of Ontario. This is, this includes Sudbury where we are as well too. And, uh, and our immigration policies are bringing in more people than we're, than we're building. So we don't have the issues in the States where you go to some places and there's 10, 15, 20% vacancy. Uh, we're in, a, in an amazing place to own rental properties because the vacancy rate is so low. So if you have an attractive rental property, it's really about you vetting the tenants correctly to, uh, um, to, to bring them in. So I, I had ideas. I didn't have necessarily the action plans to get there. That took a few years to kind of come to fruition. And, you know, I'm sure we'll get into it, but I tried a lot of different things uh, with the construction company from, you know, hiring a bunch of GCs in house, then doing a bunch of sub trades, hiring electricians in house, then doing sub trades. So I went through a bunch of different learning curves and I, you know, uh, failed forward, if you will, uh, to figure out the, the different things that actually work and how to build a, a system for scale because passively investing is still great in those areas because at the end of the day, if you're looking at labor and lumber, that's going to continue to go up just because a market didn't go up where there's 2% vacancy. Well, that means people are missing it. I and mean, people are missing the boat on passive income uh, in those areas. But when it comes to builders, a, they can't go there because it's too expensive for them to build, but that doesn't mean there's not a discount in your area. And this isn't Detroit, you know, uh, I mean, there's great areas in Detroit, but you're not collecting your rent with a gun. You're uh, this, these are, these are just underappreciated areas, if you will. And to me, if you look at it as a stock, they're undervalued areas, especially considering the low vacancy uh, rates and, and the cap rate returns that you can get in these sub GTA markets, if you will. So you mentioned St. Catharines and Sudbury. Are you in other markets besides those? I am not. Like I've done piece. We did something in, uh, in, in Waterdown, which actually didn't turn out uh, that great. But the, no, those are, those are my two areas of focus. I initially okay. was looking at Hamilton, but those, those are my two areas of focus. Well, you know what? That's good too. No, I was just curious, but I think it's good to focus, right? And, and just stick to the areas where one of the most important things you can do is be able to identify a deal when it shows, like when it shows up on your desk. So if you could stay focused on those two areas, as soon as something comes by, you're going to know right away whether it's something you're interested in or not. Correct. And you get to know the areas and, um, you know, if you're getting a few on, on one road or something, you can actually help increase the value there and then eventually become your own comparables if you're doing it at uh, a bit of scale. But it, it really is like most people uh, in my situation, when they get there, I think um, some of the, a lot of investors I talk to immediately jump into larger properties after they've done a few correct. They're like, okay, now I want a 20, 30 unit building or a 50 or whatever they want to do. And that's, there's nothing wrong with that whatsoever, but I've just been hell bent on, on uh, achieving what I wanted to in that smaller sector. I like the turnaround time a lot better. And I think that that gives me an advantage over uh, jumping ship to something else too soon, which is in my nature to do. I've started a bunch of, you know, little companies in the past and things like that. And I'm kind of all over the place. So I've, I've forced myself to be consistent with what we're doing and just get better at what we're doing. 
Uh, so maybe briefly take us through your, your real estate journey from about the first one, uh, seven ish years ago. Now, what, uh, what are you at now with portfolio and what are you, what are you buying and stuff day to day today? Yeah, sir. So right now we're doing about three to five closes a month. Uh, I went from working independently by myself and purchasing and, and, and selling and having a, a small team. Um, and, uh, and, and as I was like hiring on like project manager, property manager, and I always did it a little prematurely cause I would, you know, we'd have four or five properties and I'm like, you know what? I don't want to rent these out. Let's bring on a property manager because property management, some companies are good. I don't want to discredit it, but as an industry as a whole, it's not a great place, especially in the residential market to make money. So it's tough to find people who are really good in that industry. And I think to manage your own assets at, at scale, like I would never recommend somebody get a property manager if they're doing this as a passive investment, it's just not going to be worth the cost. But for, for, for myself, it was very important because I wanted our assets to be managed properly. I wanted them to be rented quickly and I wanted them shown every single day until they're rented to the right tenant. So for us, it worked. Um, so it probably took a few years to kind of figure it out. Like I started going and buying uh, still undervalued duplexes uh, with a small team and then going in with the focus to renovate them and then refinance the capital out. Now, of course, that means that you need to get your, your labor at a good cost and know what you're doing and uh, along with your materials as well, too, so that you can kind of have a you know, competitive advantage, if you will, because you're, you're trying to look like those nice ones that are going for double the value yours are. So I had started continuing to buy duplexes. And, and at this time, I wasn't doing any committee of adjustments or repurposing. It was, you know, I don't recommend for someone's first home that they necessarily get into. I heard rezoning earlier. That's, um, you know, good to, uh, good to work with engineers on that who have done that before to give you the right advice. But that is, it's a lot of work. Um, so in our, our area, we stuck to R2 zoned areas that were already a legal duplex to start. And I would go in and I would spend say anywhere between 15 and $35,000 uh, on a unit. And that's, that's a bad unit. Say it's all knob and tube. You need new electrical, new plumbing, new floors, new kitchens, new bathrooms. Um, we're even putting, you know, stainless steel appliances in there. And I was told by a lot of appraisers, like, you know, what are you doing? You're never going to get your money out of here. And I'm like, listen, there's comparables that are not too far away from here that look good and they're, and they're double the value. If you guys are telling me not to do any work here, then you want to live in a depressed environment forever. You need somebody to come in there and push the pendulum. And, uh, and when I first started going and was selling some of these properties, I would find a lot of, you know, um, rockstar real estate, which is a good real estate, great real estate company that looks for, um, you know, passive income investments for their investors or Toronto GTA, um, um, buyers who would come in and look at these and go, wow, I didn't even know these properties existed in St. Catharines. Like I'm interested in this, but if you did kind of the middle ground and just, you know, kind of cheaped out on your renovations and things like that, well then the people where you need to really bring the money sources in from, whether that's, you know, starting with investors and then bringing in the builders, uh, it needs to come out from where it is. And those are the guys in the GTA. So if you're not going to make it attractive to them and, and put in the work to do that, then you're not going to be able to attract that capital in the short, medium and long run. So uh, that was always kind of my thoughts. I didn't know if it was true, um, but I think it, it, you know, just looking with, with how things are, to me, it was true and it, and, it, and it did work out that way. And then when we started completing some of our first homes, we, um, we were getting some of the appraisals we'd like. We were able to recapitalize the majority of our money back out. Now I was trying to buy so much that I would, you know, have to sell for my overhead because I had, uh, like I said, project managers, site coordinators, uh, GC. So me was not always about just a passive investment. I was really good at that, but it was, uh, how do I afford my infrastructure to build this at scale? So that was something that took a few years and really over the past, you know, 12 months and even 2019, we've done a great job of, uh, changing things around, um, 
in that regard. So I would say about uh, three and a half years ago, I started picking up the pace and, uh, and purchasing more and then did, you know, maybe five or eight deals that year. Then I went to 10 to 15 deals, then uh, 20 deals. And then I think I've done 70, uh, 70 purchases um, this year. Now my issue was again, not never really the uh, purchasing and making that home profitable and cash flowing was for me because I'm, I'm trying to do this at scale was uh, how do I afford the infrastructure? So the majority of my homes, I wound up selling and, uh, and that would go to feeding my, my infrastructure. So they were profitable, but it, it went right back into feeding the system. So I was doing a better job of raising the value for the neighbors than I was of really accumulating uh, wealth um, myself on that side. And again, if you're a passive investor and not looking to do that and looking to buy one, three, five, ten, 10, even 20 homes over a long period of time, I wouldn't recommend, uh, you know, necessarily trying to build up the team I have. Like we have a full-time in-house lawyer. We're, we're, we're going to start um, in-housing our, our transactions that way as well too. Uh, so there's a lot of things that we bring to this that is just simply built for scale. I treat it like a business, not like a passive investment, but there's a ton of ways to make money passively and do extremely well that don't, um, I don't want to say take the effort, but that, you know, well, that don't take the effort that trying to, grow at scale would necessarily uh, uh, take. So that's, that's been kind of the, uh, the gist of it over that period of time. So, I mean, amping it up like that is, is, is pretty intimidating. I'm sure. Um, was that strategy by design? Like, was that a, were you flipping these places or did you just realize sort of as you were going, it's like, okay, we've got, we've, we've built this machine that needs to be fed. So because of that, we're going to have to sell off some of these properties. Correct. I was pretty bold headed at times and, uh, and was like, no, I can do this myself. I have the model that works. And, and once I'm there at scale, I can, uh, I can afford my infrastructure through cash flows. Just naive is the correct way to put it from how I was doing it. So I always wanted to hold them all, but I would just run out of money. So I was forced to sell to, to pay for the infrastructure, which admittedly had a lot of fat on it for a couple of years as well, too. Just different, um, you know, positions that, that were not needed or positions not, not doing their roles and things like that. So that, that really hampers things because if you have, you know, full-time salaries and whatnot that are going out, it, it takes a lot to sell them. Real estate is supposed to be a, a slower game, a, a good return. And over time, it's not supposed to be like, uh, you know, if you, if you get equity, you know, like the best way if I'm selling a home two, three months after it's completed, well, I'm losing a third of the profit easily on that between commissions and everything else. Uh, and then capital gains on top of that from what profit you have left over. So my intention was to always hold, but when doing it just by myself, it was, uh, I don't want to say impossible, but I, I didn't have deep pockets. So it was very difficult to do that. And I had had people for years being like, Hey, can we invest with you? Can we do this? Can we do that? And I was always kind of like, no, I don't really need that. I can just, I just can just kind of do this myself. And I had one JV, it was good. And we went through a bunch of uh, learning curves together, but I still had more properties on my end than his end. And then I hit some uh, hiccups uh, last year where I wasn't able to buy more homes. And I was like, you know what? And it was my network of friends who I really trusted, not even deep pocketed guys, but they could afford to buy one or two properties. And, uh, and that's when I really got into it with them. And really 2019, I'll be honest, is when I, I started putting the, the pedal to the metal with the JVs. And because I'm not forced to to sell them to pay for my infrastructure because I don't have all my capital in those ones. It's allowed me to really, um, you know, create some funnels um, with the, with the, uh, with the contractors, with, uh, you know, um, some vendor rebates on materials and different things like that. So I can afford my infrastructure and pay for my infrastructure without having to put all my capital into the projects and scale it that way. So 
the JVs, especially exclusively working with JVs, which I pretty much do now, I have five different uh, partnerships. Um, that was a, a, a newer thing. It probably made sense to do that from the get-go, but I don't think if I had the mistakes, whether it was, you know, too many staff members, you know, too much fat or, you know, different expectations. If, if I didn't go through those curves, I probably wouldn't be as dialed in. I definitely wouldn't be as dialed in as I am now with what works and what doesn't. So it, it seems like that, but I've got six, seven years of practice in research. I probably read as many books as anybody on real estate in that period of time. And, um, you know, except for maybe Ty Lopez. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, but, uh, you know, it's, uh, that, that's, that's it. It was, it was trial and error and people were like, oh, you're doing this and that, but it was, it was a lot of, it's been a lot of work and a lot of, um, ups and downs, like any, any kind of business is any, and we're getting our footing in, uh, now for what, what works to do this the way that I, that I envision, if you will. Uh, so what's your focus now? What do you focus on day to day? And uh, maybe we'll get into some of the systems and stuff you, you have that you still use. Uh, mm-hmm. What do you do though, specifically day to day? What's your, what, what's your days consist of in this real estate business? Yeah. So for me, it, um, it, it's a lot of everything, but I want to say operations. Like I'm, I'm responsible for speaking with, uh, uh, you know, con- we obviously have site coordinator and project manager, but I do speak with the contractors still because we have a really good network of sub trades in the cities that we're in. Um, I deal with all of the fine, well, pretty much all the financing. Dylan's actually great and in, in deals a lot of the financing on his end as well too. But for most of the JVs, I deal with all of the financing, the brokers, um, the, the buys, the acquisitions. So I work with my agent on, on what capital will work. I work with the engineer to see if we can convert um, property. So right now, a big thing that we're doing in St. Catherine's market, I was buying a lot of triplexes, quadplexes, even like a, you know, five unit, seven unit here and there on the commercial side that, that worked with the math. But uh, a big thing in St. Catherine's right now is purchasing single family homes and then converting them into uh, an ancillary uh, unit to convert them into legal two unit buildings. And one of the ways we're doing that now and finding the value because the market has crept up a little bit there is finding smaller single family homes, then um, getting a permit into the city to build out a larger single family home. And then uh, from there, we're um, uh, submitting a, a second permit to build an ancillary unit, which can only be about 40% of the, or can only be up to 40% of the main unit in order to have a nice two unit that we got at a, at a reasonable price and our renovation costs, uh, you know, typically, and, and, and that's what you're always going for. It doesn't exceed 75%. Renovation and purchase doesn't exceed 75% of the after repair value. So it adds a lot of value into the city. Uh, you're basically taking these homes that have been neglected for X period of time and, um, and just creating a lot of more, a lot more value there. And the one thing I love about what we do again, is that like, even though we are raising the prices of these homes and people are like, Oh, you know, it's not like Oakville where we're taking a million dollar home and making it 2 million. We're actually bringing these cities out of a recession because even at the end value of the prices we have on two units, it's not the price of build. A builder can't go in there and build a 2,000, 2,500 square foot, uh, duplex, let's say for, 420, 450 grand. No, they have to buy the lot at $175,000 and they have to pay their, you know, 20,000 or 15,000 on the uh, development fees. So they're at over 200,000 before they crack ground. And most builders, I mean, if you're an independent builder and you're doing it yourself, you can get away with less, but they're $200 plus a square foot easily. So when you work in everything and then the HST on top of that, it's still going to cost them five, 600,000 plus, um, in order to be able to, uh, to build these homes. So we're pushing the market to allow more, uh, eventually, hopefully more developers come in and really boost up the city. Cause you know, the government tells everybody to own, own a home. Right. And that's, that was kind of the golden rule in the nineties. It was big in the States, but the problem in, in Canada, 
And a lot of these uh, markets, like I say, is these people have been told to buy a home. So they buy a home for 170,000 in the early nineties. Well, they've got no capital appreciation. So they got a nice deck, you know, for $2,000 in the nineties that now costs them $20,000 to repair, but their home's still 190 grand. When you take out, you know, their insurances or property taxes and everything, these guys are, they've been better off renting for 20 years because there's been no, no stimulus there. So everything has gone up in terms of labor and lumber but their prices haven't gone up and they need that, that boost. I, I'm not trying to deal with places which are already above the price to build and bring it up. Um, we're, we're dealing with the lower end where we're bringing that lower end up and, and trying to get out of there. So when you, when you do the math, I'm more of a philanthropist than a, than a, you know, <laughs> entrepreneur, but uh, no, it's uh, you know, that's, that's the way it is. I'll give you an example. We, we dealt in this one area of Facer where we did seven properties there and they're pretty much all duplexes and, and whatnot. And we sold three or four of them. And I had a neighbor come up to me and said, you know, thank you so much. Like I retired early. We got an extra 100 and 140 or 150,000 on our appraisal from the year before, because we had a few comparables where we doubled the value and all of my money went back into feeding the infrastructure. But I was looking at this and I was like, 200, you know, there's 500 homes in that area sold on four or five different roads there. If they all jumped up just a hundred thousand, that's, that's $50 million in capital. I didn't even make close to a million on those deals. So if you look at the economic value that we're doing in those submarkets, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's pretty cool. And I don't know if it's really recognized uh, by some of the neighbors who will show up when we're doing committee of adjustments to try and not get us to, you know, rebuild, you know, a crapshoot into something nice for their area. But I know what we're doing and the, the people who are involved with know what we're doing. And of course we are doing this for a profit. Of course we're doing this for something larger, but I think that uh, it's pretty, it's pretty cool to see the impact that you can have in these areas when you're, when you're doing a lot of good work out there. You had just glossed over your formula that you use. Do you want to, do you want to go back and, and tell us, first of all, where'd you come up with it and say, so, well, tell us what it is and then where you came up with it. I mean, it was probably, it was probably through reading. Uh, but initially I always kind of knew I just didn't have the funds to renovate. I was like, well, if you take a bad property, that's, you know, super cheap and you put some money into it and make it look nice. Now I underestimated the cost of renovations when initially starting on what, what this stuff actually costs. So you gotta be more, uh, you, you gotta know your costs. Like we pick up properties all the time that are half renovated as people ran out of money. And it looks like sometimes after they demoed it, it's like, what, what were you expecting? Right? Like <laughs> what were your funds going into this? But but uh, the, uh, the model is, is pretty straightforward. I, I try to buy homes where after purchasing it, whatever my expected renovation cost on there is, say, you know, you take a $200,000 home and in order, you know, to, uh, and I have a $100,000 rental budget just to keep the numbers super simple. Okay, well, that means I'm all in at 300,000 without getting into holding costs or anything like that. Well, I need at least a $400,000 appraisal to recoup my capital out of there and be able to do it again. Uh, it's an imperfect science and you can't always do that. But I was always like, how do I own the asset and get all my money out? Like Robert Kiyosaki says, infinite returns. Once you have your money out, it's infinite returns, right? And you don't have to go on with that goal of getting all your money out. Most people don't go anywhere near that. They're just looking to passively invest. But if you can get the majority of it out, it's just going to allow you to build uh, much faster. So, I mean, it does take practice and, and time and you got to see the comparables, have an agent who's sending you the comparables. So you know what you're going to get that, in that area. And again, you're dealing with appraisers who you don't always control, uh, you know, and, and so the, the values can sway from time to time. So it is an imperfect science, but the more comparables you have and the more, um, you know, you know what you're doing on the renovation side, the more you can make that, that model work. So at the end of the day, you know, it's, it's kind of the poor, poor man's way to get rich, if you will. 
but it's, uh, you know, that's what you're looking for is how do I get these undervalued assets and after purchase price and renovations. And if you want to get granular, you definitely want to work in your insurance costs, your utilities and, and holding costs. But how do I buy this home and keep the asset and get all my money out as, as fast as possible to move on to the next. You have a lot of, oh. Yeah. You have a lot of projects on the go at once. Um, but yeah. how, how do you manage all that? Who does what, um, what does that, what does that system look like? Yeah. So, um, we'll have and in different locations too, right? You have different locations on the go at different times. You're not at, you're not in Sudbury at one time and then St. Catherine's a different time. They're ongoing, right? Correct. Yeah. Sudbury is kind of a new addition, um, this, this year. And uh, again, I went there. So I'll start off saying why I went there. So to me, realtor.ca is a, is a really great tool. Obviously it's only been around for the past like 15 years or so since the internet is, you know, since we can do this. Right. Um, but the, uh, the, you know, before people were getting them in magazines. And to me, uh, realtor.ca really kind of controls the market for what people think prices should be going for. And for the model that I have, I want something with inventory. So if I were to go to a place like Timmins or other areas, that could be a great area to invest to start out. Um, there's just not enough volume online uh, for me to go in there and say, hey, I'm going to buy 40, 50, 60 properties over time there. So I like dealing with areas that have uh, some volume to start at. And that's one of the reasons we went there. Plus the income is actually... Uh, higher than St. Catharines and Sudbury. It's a better market than people um, uh, think out there. So, um, sorry, what was the question again? So I can get back on track. Uh, how do I yeah, operate them? So one of the things is building a really good network of uh, sub-trades. Now, we've been out there for, for years and, um, uh, and we spent a lot of time um, building up a good sub-trade network. Like I said, I've dabbled in uh, hiring on a bunch of people in house, which, you know, it doesn't work for what I do. And it's the same reason builders don't do it as well too, because they, if they had everybody in house, they'd, they'd probably go broke trying to, trying to manage them all. But when people are on set contracts, it's up to them to manage their site. So having a really good network of sub trades and a site coordinator to go there to make sure people are on time is uh, very useful. So I work with a lot of, you know, small business, um, uh, contractors, you know, general contractors who, um, can manage anywhere between one and four sites at a time. And then I have uh, great relationships with some, uh, some electrical companies and plumbing companies uh, that can do the same. Now, electrical and plumbing, even for the scale of work we do, is, is a much faster uh, timeline. These guys make a decent amount of money, and, and even to rough in a project is, is you know, a couple days, call it a week at the, the most, even for a few units. But it generally takes a couple days for them to rough in a project and then a couple days on completion. So really the biggest uh, thing you want to focus on is the general contractors, making sure they're on time, they know what they're doing and you're not getting screwed over by them. So the way we've been able to do it is we are working more on the management side. My, my hires and teams, like I have a, a full-time recruiter who actually works for uh, a, a few of uh, my companies, but he's also a JV partner as well too. And uh, he's in charge of, of, uh, of doing our hires and, and our contracts for our sub trades. Uh, so we, we vet a lot of them and the best thing, if you're doing it at that kind of scale, cause we're doing 10, 15 sites at a time, let's say, uh, is to make sure you're working with trustworthy people and then have your management, uh, down pat because you're really then managing the sub trades to ensure that they're, that they're, uh, that they're doing everything on time and that things are happening. And again, you're, it's construction things are going to go wrong. Uh, some people aren't going to show up. They, the small businesses, the GCs themselves might lose a, a contractor here and there that they employ. But um, when you're working, when you're selling a lot of this workout, you're able to control your costs. You know what you're spending on labor. You're not going to go over it. So the way we've been able to do it is really just by vetting a ton of different companies and then getting with guys who understand what we're doing and working with us. Because then instead of them 
running in, you know, as a small business owner, them having to go to one site and maybe not getting paid or not getting along with the owner and chasing down jobs and quotes. We send them from site to site to site to site. When they're done one, they're on to the next, they're on to the next. And it builds a, a good relationship. It helps um, with the pricing on our end as well too. And, uh, and uh, you know, say job security on their end as well. And um, it's, it's relationship building on that end, uh, really in terms of uh, operations. And then from our side now, we really, really try to focus on uh, being the management, the managers on that side, making sure, you know, whether it's books are in order or, you know, uh, relationships with the sub trades, um, legal documents, things like that, trying to, trying to bring it to a, a higher scale that's above my education level, which is why we have good people uh, working with us. And, uh, and I try to focus on the, on the, on the big picture and, and connecting those dots. So are you duplexing in these areas? Is that what your main goal is? Correct. Like I, I'm not opposed to any multifamily home. The reason it's not so much on the, uh, um, uh, the reason it's not so much on the um, triplex quadplexes this year in St. Catharines is just because the prices have gone up a little bit for completed projects that are, are nice for good passive investments. But for me, like, again, just the model, if I'm working with JVs, which I am exclusively now, I'm not going to sink them into something where they're going to have their, all their funds tied up. That just doesn't make sense. So we definitely are doing more duplexes in the St. Catharines area. Um, Sudbury, it's, it's a mix. Um, triplexes, quadplexes, it's, it's kind of wherever the deal is, the unit price uh, deals are there. And small commercial, we do do, there's just more requirements on the, on the um, uh, commercial side. Sometimes it's a lot more difficult to, to refinance your capital out in a short period of time. Sometimes it might be a year. Uh, then you're dealing with different tenant issues as well too, where you can't just kick out a bunch of people in an apartment building. And to be honest, we don't even do that where we are now. We work with the tenants if they're good. Um, we'll, we'll offer them uh, paid cash incentives to, uh, to exit and sign in 11s and, and do it properly. We're not, you know, we're not looking to make anybody's life hard. Sometimes we take on difficult tenants where the value is that are, you know, have little drug issues and things like that. So we work with their counselors to put them, you know, somewhere that's, you know, not our units, but uh, uh, somewhere that makes, makes sense or people who have not been paying rent for a long time. Uh, have to get them evicted because they're taking advantage of the landlord who might not know what, you know, what his next uh, move is or, or how the court systems work for that. So we are this year focusing on two units, but I don't discriminate against others. It just happens to be where the value is at this time. And that's probably a lot easier, especially when you're like going back to what you were talking about before with the, um, the, the people who run those projects for you, understanding what you're looking for, right? If you were to hire somebody different every single time, have to explain to them what it is that you're doing, what the requirements are, you know, whatnot, on and on. Um, so being able to streamline that, right? Important. Yeah, and I'm working with a great engineer, a buddy of mine, Igor, who I've actually known for over 20 years. He's, um, uh, he's just awesome. And, uh, you know, he deals with the city quite a bit. And, uh, and, and it's just really helped us like kind of hone things in and, and say, hey, how does this work? Because I'll, I'll honestly, I'll send him a lot of you know, accepted offers we have and be like, Hey, can we, um, uh, can we do anything with this? Right. And, uh, not to give all my secrets away, but I think another good thing is for people getting into it is, um, when you're going conditional on an offer an inspection clause is probably the best thing you can have even better than financing, to be honest, because an inspection clause uh, can be anything. And if you're looking at something and you're not quite sure in a competitive field, if you can convert it to a two unit or something else, that inspection clause gives you the time to, to send it out, obviously bring in an inspector, but to send it out to the engineer or whoever you might need to confirm whether or not you can do what you think you can do with it. 
And um, if you can't, then unfortunately you, you probably don't have a deal, right? But um, that's, uh, that's another good one in there. But it's really like, I, I still don't know on some of them, like specifically, I know the rough values. I know what things are going to cost me based on square footage, but I'm like, hey, can, can we convert this? Is, do we need to go to committee of adjustments on this? Can we avoid it? Or, or can we extend this to a single family and then create a second unit? So I still um, need help from people who are more educated in that in that field and uh you know there's a lot of engineers in any city who deal with that i think that's uh uh they're very useful if you find the right ones what do you think are some of the biggest mistakes that you've made at this point hiring <laughs> hiring has been a, a big mistake but that that's not just in-house hires that can be sub trades that can be anybody i find a lot of people try to do projects themselves at the beginning or they work with a contractor. oh my buddy's a contractor he can do this right and that can uh, bring a lot of issues. I've done a really good job for the most part. I won't get into one, but for the most part, working with uh, some friends in, in family. And that's been successful, but I, I wouldn't recommend it because, uh, you know, it's, it's, it can be tough. And then it kind of clouds things um, a, a little bit, especially when you have issues. You have to be on the same page with the people you do it with. And it's much easier to get your point across with people that you don't have an existing friendship relationship with or something closer than that, because um, you know, you know what you need and you're not going to sugarcoat it. I brought on people for years that it's like, I've avoided conversations just because I'm like, it's an awkward conversation to have where I wouldn't have done that before. But when I see most new people starting is um, you know, they might look at something and be, Oh, I, I can do that. I know how to do a kitchen and I, I can do this. And they either try to do it themselves and underestimate how difficult that is. They don't do the research to know if what they're doing is even legal. They run out of funds. They hire uh, the wrong subtrades. You know, I wouldn't, unless you have a guy who's just done this before and you do know him in house, I'm not saying that doesn't work to work with people that you know, but if you've not worked with them before, it's, you know, it's, it's a, it's a different story. It's better to do your own research on that. Maybe check other projects that they've done before before hiring them in to come in and make sure that they can do it on timelines. I've seen disasters where people buy their first home and they bring in their buddy contractor nine months later, the project's still not done. They realize he hadn't done half this stuff before. So, you know, or the price is way different or, you know, um, or, you know, two partners go in together and one of them is trying to, to build it himself. The other one wants to hire out and they don't go through those steps because they haven't. There's a lot of new things that come on on a first purchase. And now buddy's trying to build it with his, with his dad and it's like, guys, you spent a month on the kitchen and guess what? We shouldn't have started the kitchen yet. We still got drywall to do. Why do we have the backsplash up? So there's so many mistakes that, that can be made. That's why I even recommend for people's first purchases. I don't even think they should be for the most part, unless you're going in with someone super experienced, be dealing with repurposing or, or additions or anything like that. Cause that's a whole new head. You have one bad engineer. We've had that before. One bad engineer costs us, uh, you know, literally six figures and we had to we had to go in and get new drawings on a dozen projects because it turns out he's, he wasn't an engineer he was subbing his workout and, and had no clue what he was doing and we get our permits in from the city but then the city comes in and it's like your measurements are wrong your drawings are wrong and you're like what are you what are you talking about and this is over our head it's over my head so now i've just got to get the solution to get that in place so that was a big learning experience there as well and that wasn't even a friend of mine that was just uh you know, someone we found and, and thought it could work and was a, was a good talker and, uh, and obviously didn't, uh, didn't pan out. So there's a ton of mistakes. I think starting slow and easy is the best to give one more example. I have a, you know, I know someone who, who started off and, and saw these projects kind of new real estate, but never really got into it and decided to buy like a 2025 20, unit apartment building. Now he's a survivor. So he, he got through it, but I told him at the gate, I was like, listen, man, you know, 
I've seen stuff in two units and single families that I've, I've never seen before. When you get into something that large, you're going to have so many new things that you've never crossed before that it's almost like, you know, it can be demotivating. If you have these problems, come on. At the end of the day, business is all about problem solving. Everything's problem solving. You can problem solve your way out of almost anything, uh, almost anything but death. And, uh, and when it comes to large apartment buildings and things like that, there's just so much new that if you're too inexperienced for it, it's going to hit you in the head and it's going to take like a, a huge set of kahunos to, uh, to be able to convince yourself that you can figure those problems out. So I'd say start slow and easy. Even if you think it's a single family home where you do the math, you might only cash flow a couple hundred dollars. Well, great. Start there and do a little bit of fixes and learn on that one or start with a legal duplex that, you know, maybe you're not going to get all your money out. Don't, don't go for the home run on your, on your first try. It's honestly going to be my advice on, on that end. Uh, thanks. That makes a lot of sense. Um, good advice for some people. A couple more. Uh, what's, uh, what's, where do you see your business? Where, a few years down the road, where are things going for you? It sounds like you're going pretty big with, with you know, we're talking a lot about scaling and all that um, and your focus with that. What's on the horizon for you coming up? Yeah, correct. Thank you, um, by the way. But it's, uh, you know, I, I want to I have over a billion in holdings in, in, in Canada in these, in these sub markets and I think I'm going to do it. So right now, one of my focuses is trying to, you know, reach out there to different lenders and, you know, maybe larger equity firms and, and, and larger funds that uh, understand what we're doing, the value that it's doing and what we can do. Cause it, it always sounds prettier from the outside. Look, I struggle with, with bills and payroll like anybody else on a, on a weekly basis with, with companies because I've, I've had dealt with a lot of issues we don't need to get into, but you know, legal issues that, you know, things that just come at you when you're, when you're building now that, now that you have a little bit of things going for you, everybody, you know, wants to come after you and it's uh, almost a, uh, unavoidable at a certain point. So for this year, I want to finish off with, you know, about 150 to 170 homes, which is really double where I'm at right now. And because we're a working business, um, right now I've got about 40, 50% of my inventory complete and we're completing about 10% a month. So my goal is to continue to get, uh, uh, you know, better sub trades, more funding, uh, so that we can continue to, to build this at scale and, um, and, and at a good rate. So, uh, you know, by all means, like I, what I'd like to build towards first is to, for myself and JVs have a uh, hundred million in holdings over the next six to seven months. And, you know, if, if some things work out that we're, we're working on from a funding perspective in a larger scale, uh, I would like to have 250 million by the end of 2020. And I know that sounds like a lot, but at the same time, I've, I've been doing this, uh, a, a long focused in this area for a long time. And, um, and this, you know, it obviously can't happen with my personal funds. That's, you know, I, I don't have any of those. So it's, it's, uh, you know, this is, this is problem solving at a, at a larger level. And if you look at any business, it's no, it's no different when you're, when you're going for those things, like I could say, Hey, you know, let go of staff and, and just, and have what, what I have now and be like, okay, let's, let's hang out and let's chill. But there's, there's things I want to do that are much bigger and that are outside of real estate as well too. Plus I know the economic value that we can have at scale in these sub markets and I, and I really enjoy that. So for me, it's just continuing to, uh, uh, to scale and, and build something that's substantial and means something. And then, you know, be able to teach people how to do the same in, in some way. Obviously, my focus is completely on our, like what you guys do is amazing. You guys are giving information out to people who can come in and like you, you get 100 people that are doing two to three homes. Great. They've got three, four times the homes that I do. That's way more than I could do on a, on a platform. And even if I'm at 1,000 homes, you look at just to do the math on it. Scale is everything. This is why... Um, uh, you know, you know, giving this advice out to people, I think is awesome because it just, it just helps. It helps the areas, helps the market. Canada is the most underdeveloped, developed country in the entire world. Right. And, 
and we need to and we need to build and we need to develop and we need to educate these people to to get out there and get to it because there's uh you know there's always risk in things that you do but we're we're in a great industry we got you know low prices on homes uh, outside of the GTA and we have extremely low vacancy which is something that is is not common for anywhere in the world including the United States so um those are the goals cool that's exciting and yeah, uh you're on and fire it's, yeah. and it's a success is a, like an exponential right so you're gonna like you talk about six seven plus years of doing this and bunch of failing forward <laughs> um yeah. and challenges along the way like eventually you fight through enough of that uh whatever you want to think of it as learning experiences and eventually you hit you know you hit a point where you're like i, I got this now and let's just and you just go crazy right and it and it, and it doesn't go it doesn't double it 100 times is or, or or 50 times is at least in a matter of you know a short period of time that's that's you usually so. yeah. that's usually the way it goes um that's for, for this you know looking back in a few years down the road you look back and probably say well you know everyone will see the the short view of it and you'll see the six seven plus years in the beginning that were a bit of a grind and uh, and then all of a sudden it took off so takes a lifetime of work to become an overnight success right so yeah. you'll find that almost in any industry whether it's athletes even, even entertainers i've seen it all the time and and uh and it's the same thing with any any businesses too i think uh tesla well tesla still doesn't turn a profit right now long they've been around but you know people fail to see the the paypals and the things that he spent years on before that so you're absolutely right and uh and and that's what it is and with that it's going to come a bunch more problems but if you're okay with problem solving and understand that's all a business is or growth is is problem solving you're going to kill it and you won't lose Let's get from you the number one piece of advice that you would give someone who's interested in, in at least even starting down the path of what you've done. Yeah. Uh, perseverance, perseverance, like kind of what I just touched on there is, is like, you guys know you started a podcast, you had one viewer, you know what I mean? Like guarantee you're like, mom, dad, everybody come watch this. Right. Like it starts and then it snowballs and then you have a big way up and then it kind of flattens like success is here to here to here to here to here. It's not this. And, and I think that's what discourages most people is they have a problem. And then instead of immediately fighting for the solution, they want to complain about that problem. And then, you know, uh, talk about that problem and why, Oh, how did this happen to me? Oh my God, I can sit here and do that all day long. Right. So it's, it's anybody could. And if you uh, persevere and just know that if you're getting into something, there's going to be some shit that comes up. That's, that's going to be troubling. And, uh, and you're going to have to problem solve your way out of it. So perseverance I'd say is the biggest thing. And, um, Starting small, honestly, because you can get through a first project quickly. And if you can't get through it quickly, well, how do you think you're going to do on the big one, right? So um, start, start small to ease your way into it so you, your learning curves are not as discouraging. And that will help you on the, uh, on the perseverance side. Okay, great. Well, I mean, man, you have told us a lot of stuff. <laughs> so I uh, really appreciate all the info you've shared today. And for those out there that want to get in touch with you, how can they do that? Um, well, I have a, an, an Instagram, Robbie W. Clark, R-O-B-B-Y-W-C-L-A-R-K, where I post uh, a lot of videos and, and content on businesses and, and real estate in general. Uh, so that's one. I'm not too active with the YouTube channel or anything like that. I've got to carve out more time for that. I'm, I'm, I'm pretty focused on, on building what, uh, what I'm doing now and then maybe creating a larger uh, platform from there. Um, you can reach out to me on... Um, I have a SID developments. If you go to that, that site, you can contact us there. Uh, Redline renovations, which is my construction company, though. I don't, um, uh, really do any retail work there. It's really just for our own in-house stuff. Uh, you can contact us in the contact page and then, uh, 
my personal email, if you want to reach out, this might be dangerous, but Robbie, R-O-B-B-Y-W-C-L-A-R-K at gmail.com. Um, I check almost every email that comes in there. I get about a hundred emails a day right now. So, uh, but I, I'm always, you know, I'm, I'm uh, happy to help and, and talk to people where they need some, uh, some learning. Um, and, uh, and yeah, those are probably the best ways to reach out to me. And like I said, most active on Instagram out of any, uh, uh, any social platform. So great. Well, yeah, I just signed up on it. So ma'am. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you. You got another new follower. Awesome. Uh, thank um, you. Sandy, how can people get in touch with you? Uh, 289-389-6846 or info at mckayrealtynetwork.com. And you can reach me at 289-92. Ah, you know what? The phone number thing, I think I'm going to stop doing it. But uh, <laughs> you, can, uh, you can reach me at info at breakthroughreipodcast.ca. There was just too many phone numbers there. They'll get ours <laughs> mixed up, you know? Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. Uh, info at breakthroughreipodcast.ca. Thanks for listening, everybody. Appreciate it. And we'll see you next time. Awesome, guys. Thank you so much.